0: Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Thank you for coming and for making us your church home for an hour today. You who are online, we welcome you. And those of you who are guests online, welcome. We're glad you're here. Turn with me over to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. We're going to look at chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. The title of the message is Purifying City Water. Purifying City Water. It says, The men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a, a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Verse 21 And he went out to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters there shall not be from their death nor unfruitfulness any longer. 22. So the waters have been purified to this day according to the word of Elisha which he spoke. Lord help us as we study your word. Three things in this passage I'd like to bring out. One, a city's perspective. Two, the prophet's solution. And three, the prophet's action. Backdrop to this passage is that Elisha has now taken over for Elijah, his mentor. Elijah was unlike any prophet the world had ever seen. Now there were others who had done some pretty spectacular things before him, namely Moses. Moses had signs and wonders along with his leadership, but Moses was more of a leader than he was a prophet. It's not that he could not or did not speak the word of God, but he was no- mo- known mainly for his leadership and in, in forging a people that were really a large family into a nation. Uh, there was a guy named Samuel who was pretty extraordinary himself as a judge. Uh, he had some signs and wonders, but, but nothing like Elijah and Samuel was a judge, known more for his leadership and his ability to hear from God than his signs and wonders. And it's not that hearing from God and speaking on his behalf is any less supernatural, it's just different, a different manifestation of God's power. Elijah, like wow. He prophesied a few things, but the things he was able to do with his life and ministry, extraordinary. Extraordinary. He shows up on the scene during the time of King Ahab in the northern kingdom. Now at this time, Israel was was divided into two kingdoms, two monarchies, a southern monarchy called Judah and a northern monarchy called Israel. These two really didn't get along very much. They were of the same genetic line, but they had very different practices in every way, especially religiously. The most orthodox form of worship was down in Judah where they had the temple. In the north... In order to keep people, when they separated, from going down to Judah to worship, as they should, they created their own form of worship that served a golden calf, idolatry, thinking that the people would substitute that for God. And many of them did. Some of them kept coming down for the feasts, but many of them stayed in the north in what we uh, we know to be Samaria. The northern kingdom never had a good king. They had one that was not as bad as the rest, Jehu, but all of them. Other than that, were horrible. And Ahab had the distinction at this point of being known as the worst. That is not a moniker you want to wear. Worst king ever. And then he had a wife named Jezebel, who was equally as bad. An inspirer of being, uh, an inspirer of wickedness was she. God was so fed up with his people that he sent a prophet, Elijah, to them. And Elijah showed up without pedigree, said he was a Tishbite. Nobody even knew who who Tish was. He didn't have a degree, no formal education of which we know, and no invitation from the king to, to give inspiration as to how the nation could be fixed. The king and Jezebel were, for the most part, serving Baal, a false god, and they had their own prophets that would serve Baal and help them with inspiration that was supposed to help the nation. All wrong. Elijah just shows up and says in 1 Kings 17, by the way, um, it's not going to rain except when I tell it to. Bye. They think, oh, they're, they're crazy, man, right there. Absolutely nuts. Six months later, I know it hadn't rained, but eh, it can't be because of what that dude said. A year later, who was, who was that fellow again? Um, what? We t- t- Eli what? Who, he, he, he what? Two years. Find that dude. Find that dude. CIA, FBI, Navy SEALs, Green Beret, everybody. SEAL, Navy uh, SEAL Team 6. Looking for him. Where is he? And they weren't looking for him in order to just fix stuff. They were looking for him to kill him. How could you bring this upon our nation? People have died. Starvation is the order of the day. This is horrible. And Elijah shows up about three and a half years later. And when he shows up, he shows up in power. He challenges the prophets of Baal, of which there are 450, and he is singular. Singular. He's not the singular prophet in the country, but he's singular in this challenge. Obadiah had hidden some prophets in the caves because Jezebel and Ahab wanted to kill them. But, but Elijah shows up and he says, let's have this competition to see whose God is God. You all sacrifice to your God. I'll let you go first. Sacrifice to your God, do whatever you need to do. Uh, and, and then, and then whoever God answers by fire, he's God. And so everybody said, we agree. And so from the morning till the afternoon, the prophets of Baal screamed, hollered, cut themselves, danced around the altar, and their God could not answer. And Elijah started talking some lip. (laughs) He said, "Um, maybe you all aren't aren't screaming loud enough. Shout a little louder. Maybe he's deaf. That's what he said. Maybe he's deaf. He's hard of hearing. And then he said, well, maybe he's indisposed, literally going to the bathroom. That's what he said. He said something, you know, he's probably busy. And after hours, nothing happened. You had horse and bloody prophets tired all day trying to figure out why their God could not answer. And Elisha goes to his altar and he says, um, cut up some animals, put them on the altar, and then pour water on. Them. He said, water, on a sacrifice? How's it going to burn? And uh, secondly, water is more valuable than gold. It hasn't rained in three You want us to pour water out, not to make it something that can be used either by livestock or people? Dude, what is wrong with you? He said, yeah, pour a lot of water. Ah, ah, that's, uh, do it. Once he'd done that, and it says that there was a trench around the altar full of water. Elijah said, okay, I know you hear me. So like, you can answer now. (laughs) Lightning bolt strikes the altar. And it says it not only licked up the sacrifice, it licked up the stones and the water. Nothing was left. You say, well, what did the water have to do with anything? Well, sometimes you need to sacrifice what you you need in order to get what you can't live without. See, the people needed water, but they needed to sacrifice it in order for God to provide. I know sometimes it's tight, but sometimes you need to give in order that God might have something to use for you to receive. And so where did that water go? Straight up to the heavens. And then Elijah goes and begins to pray and he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand over the Mediterranean Sea and all of a sudden water begins to flow. Such a deluge that he has to tell Ahab you better hurry up because the kind of rain that's coming is going to flood you out. If you want to get someplace, get someplace in a hurry. Now Elijah thinks, sure enough, Revival is coming and awakening. Nobody has seen God do this in like 600 years. Since Moses was around, did God answer with fire from heaven? This is amazing. Lord, you're going to bring revival and awakening. All of Israel's is going to return to you.
1: This is great.
0: And nothing changed. Nothing changed. When a preacher gives it his best shot, when you do everything you can, and you've seen God do everything he's supposed to do, there's nothing that is lacking, and it still doesn't change the heart of the people. That kind of miracle, we're not talking about lightning just showing up random. It showed up when Elijah said, now. The people saw it, and they still didn't turn. When you give it your best shot, and it didn't work, boy, discouragement sets in what else do I have why am I here what's the point I thought I was here to make substantive change I'm not just here to produce a show it's not just my Sunday morning it's not just people seeing me anointed I want to see my community change why am I here if my ministry makes no difference and literally he asks God to kill him he says I'm done I'm through you can take me now God says, nah, we're not going to do that but we are going to transfer your ministry and then he goes through the process of finding a successor and Elisha is that successor to Elijah he finds him plowing behind a twelfth pair of oxen in his father's field throws his mantle on him and says, you want to go? you want to take this ride? Elijah says, absolutely. Let me go say bye to my parents, and I'll be with you right now. He says, I haven't done anything to you unless you believe it. Elisha becomes Elijah's protege. And for over a decade, he serves Elijah. It's a powerful ministry. Then it comes time for Elijah to be, to be really done. And God is about to take him up in an unusual way. Being done is is, is like different for people like Elijah. There's no funeral. When I'm done, there will be a funeral. I don't know how many people will show. Doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be happy one way or the other. I'm being glory with God. But there will be a, somebody will read my eulogy. I will be in a box. But there were a couple of guys that didn't get in a box. Elijah was one of them. Moses was another. Then a guy named Enoch, we don't know what happened to him. But these two guys, these two guys, didn't get. they didn't go on, they didn't go on the earth. <laughs> and Elijah's about to be taken up. There's a school of the prophets, seminary, where these other men are, are, are being trained to be prophets. And, and Elijah is going around saying goodbye to them in each city. And Elisha is following him. And Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. He says, uh-uh. I'm not leaving you. I've given up too much. I've served you too long. I want a double portion of what you got. What that meant was, I want to be known as your firstborn. I want the inheritance that would be normally given to the firstborn. Double portion for me. I want your ministry. He followed him around and didn't stop. Elijah, Elijah gets to the Jordan, takes his mantle, hits the river. The river parts. Elijah goes on the other side. We think Elisha went with him as well. Why? Because I'm about to tell you in a minute. And then all of a sudden, this Uber from heaven comes down. (laughs) (laughs) This chariot of fire comes down and picks up Elijah. God ordered a chariot of fire from glory to pick this man up. And it took him right off, right off to heaven. And everybody's sitting there, (gasps) oh my good, that's amazing Ah. and then his mantle, the cloak that he wrapped himself in, started floating down, Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me when I'm taken up, you'll get my double portion and so Elisha would not leave Elijah, and he saw him when he was taken up, saw that mantle float down picked it up, and the first thing he said was went to the river Jordan, where." is the god of Elijah and he hit the river just like Elijah had done and the river parted for him and he went on the other side and he knew okay I got it now as he's gone from east to west with respect to the Jordan even though Elijah went from west to east he has come to the city which is opposite the Jordan called Jericho that place where Joshua fought the battle and you know the song well Where the city's walls just came tumbling down at a shout to God from the people. An amazing city. But that happened over 650 years earlier. Now to give you perspective, our nation is about to celebrate its 250th anniversary in four years. 650 is a long time. Jericho has been around that long. Things have changed in the city though. Whereby it was not only situated well before, it was a city in which people could live and thrive. Now something has happened to the water supply. And the prophets who happen to live in Jericho have come to Elisha, not only because they have a need, but because they are probably a little envious. You see, Elijah didn't go to the seminary to choose his protege. He just picked up a dude, a brother in the field, plowing. He bypassed all of the other people who were being trained to be prophets. And they were hoping that Elijah would lead his mantle to at least one of them. And he bypassed all of them. Now, for those of you who say, that is my justification for not going to school. (laughs) No, 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 no. Because the foremost apostle in the New Testament went to school. Paul. He was schooled at Gamaliel Seminary. He knew more than anybody else and that's why God allowed him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Because he was smart. Peter wrote a couple of books. <laughs> are you listening to me? They both had great impact. I'm not comparing them in terms of their impact. I'm saying that there are slots where God wants people to serve. And some people are not near as qualified as others to serve in that slot.
1: How want God to use you. Go to school.
0: They were a little envious. And so they come to him and give him a test. Their water had been bad for a long time. They didn't talk to Elijah about it. They hadn't been able to reap a crop, a harvest for a long time. They hadn't talked to Elijah about it. At least we don't have any record. But here they say, Elisha, uh, you see the city, we love it. We love where it's located. Location, location, location. Great spot. But the water's bad. The, city's un- the, the crops are unfruitful. Uh, what, what do you think? Didn't ask him to fix it. They just brought the problem. Do you know people, people can get used to a lot of bad. If you can't drink the water, the land is unfruitful you got no food why are you still there you've gotten used to bad and people get used to bad they just don't know how good it can be it's all they've known Uh, I take a lot of trips down 81 south go 66 west 81 south go to Harrisonburg we got a great church down there called Duck Divine Unity Community Church just fabulous Pastor Chris Johnson doing a an outstanding job there, church of fifteen hundred people, so diverse. He's he's helping to take the city, win it to Christ. Fabulous. But I got to go down eighty-one to get there, and I'm, I'm asking God, is there another route? <laughs> <laughs> and there isn't, because somewhere between sixty-six, where you hit eighty-one. And Harrisonburg, right about 20 miles, there's only about 60 to go from when you get to 66 to get down to Harrisonburg, about 20 miles, 40 miles from Harrisonburg, there's this smell. There's a pig farm someplace close. And it doesn't matter whether your windows are up. It is horrible. And you are doing all you can to not breathe for like three miles. Because it is so nasty. And I'm asking God, I tell people, I know the landmarks. I say, take a deep breath. <gasps> it is nasty. And I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm looking for a new route to get to Harrisonburg. Who lives here? Somebody lives in this area. And they must spend most of their life praying for the wind to change. It is nasty. Well, reality is, people get used to it. They get used to nasty. And literally, you go nose blind. Everybody else says, how do you live here? What's wrong? (laughs) What, 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 what? (laughs) Jericho, how have you lived here? Washington, how have you lived here? Selfishness. Agendas that aren't according to the will of God. Morality. Shot. There's nothing with respect to ethics that makes any sense biblically. People are always trying to figure out, even when the circumstances are bad, how they can just navigate through the circumstances and get to some kind of desired end that doesn't in any way alleviate the problem. All it does is help them feel better. They haven't gone to the root. Our city is in trouble. Our city has bad water and it is unfruitful. It is giving nothing to God, nothing. And circumstances have hit us over and over and over. Do you know why God allows circumstances, untoward events to happen to people? Sometimes it's to test our faith in order that we might understand what we need to get out because the the, the stuff on the inside is usually revealed by the stuff that happens from the outside. And we didn't know how messed up we were. We didn't know how much we didn't believe God. We didn't know how much we thought he was going to do this. And now we're disappointed that he didn't do this. And now we have some expectations that are driving our lack of worship. So sometimes he uses circumstances to reveal things on the inside. Other times he uses circumstances to inform us Bridge out. Stop. He tried to speak. He tried to say. He used preachers. He used songs. He used everything he possibly could. Readings. But nobody would listen. And so now he's giving you a flat tire.
1: And you're mad about the flat. Bridge out.
0: Thank you, Jesus. You You gave me a flat. Nobody thanks him for the difficulty. All we do is say, let's fix the flat and keep on going. We navigate around it. Our city is really messed up. It it has bad water, bad inspiration. And that inspiration is producing nothing for God. What do we do to purify city water? Everybody has their own idea about how to fix our city. And there's no question that voting your biblical conscience is good and right. We need to be very civically minded in all we do, responsible with our vote. We need to be involved in political activities if we can in order for people to make the best decisions possible for the most. We need to do that. There's nothing about our involvement that needs to decrease from being socially and politically active as best we can to care for people. But that is not the only thing we need to do. We need to do so much more because we are the only people that can provide the kind of solution that goes to the root of the problem. It doesn't just make another law that somebody else can change later. Are you listening to me? Elisha, got any ideas? Yeah, bring me a new jar and put some salt in it. For what? You know that salt actually makes water less palatable. And it actually hinders crops. from Why? You want what? Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. God has spiritual solutions for natural problems. And may I say that you are the best person possible option of a new vessel. I know you were hoping that somebody else could do this. You were hoping, well, Pastor Brett will come up with a really good solution. He's chaplain here. He's got influence there. He's in the police department. He's got some stuff with the Washington football. Surely he'll be able to manipulate stuff in such a way where people hear his voice and now solutions will be brought to bear. We trust you, Pastor. Go. If not, meet somebody else who you believe is a professional. But I'm letting you know, you are the best version of new. It's your responsibility where you see the water bad and unfruitfulness to be used by God in order to see substantive change. Are you listening to me? Bring me not an old vessel, not one made in the image of Adam. One that's born again. A new vessel. The first service really got excited at these points. I don't know what's going through your brain.
1: You are the best version of God's solution for your environment. Your sphere of influence needs you to be brand new and not just to show up, but to have something to give. Yeah. Salt.
0: Salt, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. Matthew 13 and 14, you're the light of the world. When the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out in the street and trampled underfoot by men. Salt is that stuff that stops corruption. They used it in meat for years because there was no refrigeration. And so that which they would harvest through hunting in the summer, they'd keep all the way through the winter by salting it because it would stop the corrupted forces that would make the meat go bad. We are supposed to be that for the world. The world is full of corruption in every way, and we are to be the salt that stops the corruptive forces in the world. We're supposed to have the highest sense of morality. We're supposed to be the best employees in our company. We ought to have a really good body of Christ. Environmental policy. Why? Because God gave us stewardship of the planet. Everything that is, we ought to bring solutions to the problems that are. Everything. Best solutions. But because we lack so much, we usually depend on the old kind of solution with no salt. We're an old vessel that's empty. We don't read our Bible every day. So we don't have the information necessary to be relevant to the problems that are presented. We just come with what we've learned, what mom and daddy taught us, what we saw on TV, what the news has informed us. We don't try to sit before God and say, Lord, what's the solution? We don't use our education that has now been infused with biblical principles to say, I'm going to come up with a biblical way that allows for people to not think I am so pinheaded spiritually that all I do is read my Bible. They don't know that it's chapter and verse, but it's right because it's God. And so it's going to be infused into what I know that's natural. And I'll do my PhD on this thing. And people will think, I ain't thought of that before. I ain't thought of that before. That's really it. Where'd you come up with this? Mm, I study. We are the best version. You are the best version of whatever problem ails your community. But when salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for much. But it is good for something. When it can't preserve, you throw it out in the street and it's trampled underfoot by men. We're about to come up on winter. It's my, I, I hate winter. I really do. I mean, hey, listen, I'm, I'm in Washington, D.C. because God called me. That is it. I would be in Florida, Bahamas, St. Thomas, someplace else. I would not be here. I love this city because God put it in my heart. I'm not leaving. I'm going to die here. I'm passionate about this city. But there is nothing natural that drew me here. I hate winter. I hate snow. I hate shoveling. I hate cold. I hate it all. But I'm not complaining, I'm just reporting. (laughs) When it snows, what do we do in order to clear our sidewalks? Huh. But you wouldn't put that salt on your kitchen table, would you? It's not for that. It's not comprised quite right. If the salt has lost its ability to savor, to preserve something, then it's only good be thrown out and trampled and defeated by men. God will use you one way or the other. Either he will use you to preserve and be an example to everybody else, or he'll use you like he used Samson. Now, Samson,
1: <laughs> what a guy. I mean, he's everything
0: that a man wants to be. Strong, fearless, able to, 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 to defeat a thousand people, soldiers. A thousand soldiers coming against him. With the jawbone of a donkey. Not the jawbone of a tiger. A lion that had actual canines. These were He was beating people with molars. <laughs> Are you listening to me? I don't know how you beat a warrior with molars. I don't know. They have swords. I don't know how you do that. A thousand men. Strong. But even though he was able to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines, it wasn't because he was doing it as obedient, as an obedient servant to God. When he felt this calling in his life, um, I'll say it this way. When he felt this unusual power in his life, he responded, but he did not respond with a yes God. He said, oh, this is neat what I've got. I can use this however I want. His parents tell him, okay, it's time for you to get married. He said, good, I found a woman down in Timnah, which happens to be in the Philistine territory. And Timnah is, is a valley that has grapes in it. Now, he had taken the vow of a Nazarite, which said you cannot eat grapes, nor should your hair be cut. Now, he didn't take it. His mother took it for him all of his life. You could take the vow of a Nazarite for 30 days, 60 days, 100 days, three years. His entire life, his hair was never to be cut, nor was he to eat anything or drink anything from the fruit of the vine. And he goes down to a place where they grow grapes. (laughs) To a woman who lives there who is a Philistine. And he says to his parents, I want to marry her. His parents say no. Now, they weren't bigots. They weren't prejudiced. The issue was this. We know what your calling is. You are called to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. You want to marry a Philistine woman? How's that going to be when you have to fight against your brothers? What's that going to be like? It doesn't make any sense. Find somebody from your own people. He said, no, she looks good to me. And he married her. It said this was from the hand of the Lord. Why? Because he had not answered the call. God was now using other means to get him involved. He was never going to do what was right. And so he goes down to Timnah, and on the way, he sees a lion. And this lion is going to eat him for lunch. And he, with his bare hands, rips a lion apart. He didn't know he had this kind of strength. First time he's used it, rips it apart, and he's sitting there looking at the lion, thinking, oh, I
1: just did that. (laughs) ain't nobody in the history of the world beat a lion with his bare hands.
0: I got it going on. That's all he thought. What that was... Was the, the circumstance that mama told you about when you went to the club? Yeah. Don't go, baby. Don't go. And you snuck out. And you went and all of a sudden start gunfire.
1: Oh, I shouldn't have come Mama. I shouldn't have come. Oh, I'm it down. <laughs>
0: but you get out. And you don't tell mama, but you, you, you catalog it and say, mm, maybe nothing can hurt me. That was Samson. Rather than looking at this as trouble, saying, you shouldn't do this. And I'm going to deliver you through it, but you shouldn't do it. Samson said, there ain't nothing that can stop me. And then the Philistines did some bad things to her parents as a result of some bets (laughs) that Samson had with the Philistines. He lost. And the only reason he began to fight against the Philistines was out of vengeance. We don't see him ever pray. Well, one prayer. After he beat those Philistines with a jawbone or a donkey, he cried out to God and said, "You gonna let me die of thirst? No water around.
1: You gonna let me die?
0: Not much of a prayer. But that's the only time he talks to God. Except at the end of his life, which is really sad. He hangs out with women who work at night. There's nothing about his life." that is holy or pure he never never worshipped he never sacrificed and it says that in his death he killed more Philistines than in his life but he had to commit suicide to do it my point is this God will use you one way or the other one way or the other and Samson's life though he was not a preserving agent for anybody around him with respect to what it meant to obey God he gives me traction he spread out in the street so that I don't slip. Oh, I see what happens when you do that. I'm not doing that, God. I see the results. Oh, Lord, I got traction now. I'm not doing that. How do you want to be used? Do you want to be salt that is actually able to save her or thrown out in the street to help other people know what not to do? You follow them, that's going to be your problem. As I close, Elisha takes this new jar and this salt and he goes to the stream and he puts the salt in it. Again, salt doesn't help water be drinkable. In fact, if you drink seawater, you're in trouble and it doesn't help crops grow. So even though this naturally couldn't help there's something other than natural that God is trying to convey here to us about how we need to be applied and, and how he's going to use our application. The number one, we don't need to stay in the jar. The stuff you have on the inside needs to be sprinkled. Other people need to receive it. And if you can get to the fountainhead, the inspiration behind everything that's going on in your dysfunctional world, oh my goodness, you will help everybody At once. At once. Rather than just cutting all bad limbs, you go right to the source. He went right to the fountainhead of the stream and said, let's preserve this thing. The the beauty is this. It says he had to go to it. You're going to have to ask God to let you go. I'm not talking about go from his presence or away from him. I'm talking about let me go to my workplace in a new way. I know I have an occupation, but what's my vocation? Your vocation is your calling. Your occupation is your job. Your job, many of you prayed for. You didn't have one. You prayed for a job. And now you got one. And what are you doing? Praying for another one. (laughs) Complaining Complaining about the job he gave you. Rather than using it as an opportunity to spread salt. You're not looking at it as a ministry. You're looking at it as something that can, bro- can provide for you. And, and when it stops making you happy, you're going to find another stream. I'm not saying that's bad. Please be upwardly mobile. But don't forget who you are while you're there. Salt spreading. You are to be an influence in your environment. I'm not saying you walk into the, your business every day holding the Bible saying, we're going to do a Bible study today. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't like it, so what? Don't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> get you in trouble, probably get you fired. There are ways to bring salt in relevant envir- irrelevant ways to environments that don't have it. I beg you would pray and ask the Lord for that. And have a sense of calling every day so that, so that the job you hate can be enjoyable. And remember, you did pray for it. God gave it to you. Just like he gave the Israelites manna. It's miraculous the job you have. The children of Israel actually told God, we're tired of your miracle. We're tired of your manna. It's stuff that flowed because they had no agriculture. They didn't have a piece of property. They couldn't plow. They couldn't harvest, reap. And so they were nomadic. And God just rained down grain, whatever it was, every morning for 40 years. It came out in the morning, and it was just there. And they were able to grind it up and make bread every morning. (laughs) How can you be mad at a miracle? How can you be dissatisfied at God's provision? Yeah, first service didn't amen this part either. (laughs) God wants you to be an influence in your environment, wherever you are. Figure out how to, how to incorporate your vocation in your occupation. Be salt in those dysfunctional places where the water is poisonous, the environment is horrible, everything is toxic, and nothing is growing. Help. Help. Only you. Maybe. Maybe there's some other people in the job, but until you find them, only you can fix this. Feel sent. He went to it feel sent by God by going. And he threw the salt in there and said, from now on, there will neither be death nor unfruitfulness in you any longer. So it didn't have much to do with the salt because we know that sodium chloride is not going to fix anything in water. Not this kind of fix. But it was the word of God that accompanied it. God's word will change the environment if you will move in faith and just be a vessel to be used. He has, a, he has a passion to see the environment and people change. He just needs somebody, a new vessel with salt and preserving ages in it, to be somebody who can be used so that his word can fix stuff that's broken. Our city is broken. I'm not trying to fix it politically, though I vote. I'm socially active. I am not trying to fix it legislatively, though I believe laws are really important to change. I'm bringing the one thing that no other man or people group can. The supernatural power of God.
1: Nobody can bring it like the church. Nobody can fix it like the church. And not just us. The church. And leaders all over the city. We're going to fix it by being new vessels with preserving agents in our lives. So that when we show up God backs us with his word. I beg you, don't wait for the paid professional to be your answer. You do it. New vessel. Salt. Read your Bible every day.
0: Let's pray. Daddy, love you. Thank you very much for your goodness and grace. Empower us to be the kind of people who can bring substantive change to a world that's so desperately needed.